0: Oh, good morning, everybody. Oh, some of you look so tired. How are you going to stay up until midnight? How many of you are planning on staying up until midnight? How many of your children will force you to stay up until midnight, whether you want to stay up until midnight or not? And finally, how many of you will uh, fall asleep at 8 o'clock, set an alarm for 11.58, and then wake up, bring in the new year, and then go to bed? This is our plan for this evening. Um, (laughs) But... uh, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting uh, hearing about how different people uh, celebrate the new year. And, and, and we do, millions of people are gonna celebrate. They're gonna be watching all of the different, like 47,000 different shows that they're gonna have the ball drop in New York. And uh, does Hanover, Hanover does something, right? I think they have the Pac-Man drop at the, at the arcade. So if you wanna go down to the arcade uh, in, in Hanover. Uh, in Dillsburg, we drop the pickle. Uh, Mechanicsburg drops the wrench, Harrisburg drops the strawberry, right? And we watch all of these things, and we watch as 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 every it kind of falls and falls and falls and falls. And something that that Tanya said right before she prayed was was very, um, just kind of struck me. Um, 2023 did hold a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, a lot of grief, a lot of loss. Um, we've lost family members. We we've we've had people get sick and get cancer and get COVID and, and all of these things. And I just I can't help thinking about how that that whatever dropping is dropping, you know, and it feels like it almost like 2023 is dropped on our heads by the end of the year. But I think a lot of times we forget that even though we had a lot of terrible things happen in 2023, we also had a lot of wonderful things happen in 2023. And one of the biggest problems that we have as Christians and and as non-Christians is understanding that life is going to be that way. If we read the book of Job, Job um, has this great life and he has seven kids and he's got a wife and he's got money and he's got cows and he's got camels and he's got land. He's got all of this stuff. And all of a sudden he loses it all. And his wife comes to him and says, finally, after everything is lost, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job looks at her and says, and I think this is, this is an attitude that Christians should have, God gave me good, should I not also accept bad when it comes? And as we start thinking about and reflecting on, and and lots of people are going to do this today, reflecting on 2023 and all of the things that happened and and all of the the good, all of the bad, we want to remember that God is at the center of everything. God is at the center of things when they are going well. God is at the center of things when they're not going well. And what we really want to remember is that God is, is in charge. God is in control. And if we believe that and if we trust his plan, 2024 is going to be phenomenal, no matter what happens. And we look at all of these things most of the time. How many of you on, on New Year's Eve, you, you sit down and you write out New Year's resolutions? Anybody do that anymore? Do, oh, is there an app now for it? Is that why we don't write them down? <laughs> the New Year's Resolution app. And it gives a little alarm every day that tells you when you're supposed to do whatever it is that you're saying that you're gonna do, right? But we've all heard of New Year's resolutions. When I was in elementary school, we were told by our teachers, write down your New Year's resolutions. they what's a resolution? Right? <laughs> And we write these things down, these things that we want to improve about ourselves, the things we want to improve about our lives. And we say, we're gonna go and we're gonna do this. And this is the reason that my son, Tom hates January. Because he is a personal trainer in a couple of gyms and he can never find machines to do his personal training on because 500 people have joined the gym on January 1st. Why? because they've made a resolution, they've made a promise to themselves that they're gonna get healthier in the next year. And that is probably the most popular resolution. It has to do with physical fitness, either improving your diet, right, Tanya? You, a couple of years ago, you, you said, I'm gonna improve my diet, and you have, and, and, and you look fabulous. But we do that when we're gonna change our diet. We're gonna go to the gym three times a week. We're going to do whatever it is that we can do to, be, to make ourselves healthier. We're going to stop smoking, and we're going to stop eating bacon. And I stop right there. <laughs> and right behind that is people making promises that they're going to improve their finances. Right? I want to save more money. I want to be able to retire. I want to do this. I want to get my kids through college. All of these things. And we make these promises, and I make these promises. And on this day, we take stock of what our life is like now. And we kind of look at what do we want our life to be in the future, in the next year. And unfortunately, most people don't keep these promises to themselves. Most people don't keep New Year's resolutions. In fact, uh, most studies have shown that about 9% of everyone who keeps a resolution or, or who makes a resolution keeps a resolution. Everybody else quits. And there's actually in January, I saw this on, the, uh, on this day calendar uh, for January, there's actually a day called Quitter's Day. <laughs> where it is okay for you to quit on your New Year's resolutions. So we have this day, and, and it makes some sense. You know, it's a new year, we want new things, we want things to improve, we want things to get better. And most of the time they don't. They stay the same, or they get different in good ways or bad ways. But most of the time, we have a problem keeping promises to ourselves. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we still have trouble keeping promises with ourselves. I was so excited this morning when I woke up, because today was the last day of the year, and it was the last day of my Bible in a Year reading plan. And I got to read the last four chapters of Revelation. And I had no idea that Marion and Carolyn had picked those hymns to sing this morning. This idea of looking ahead, looking forward, looking at what God is going to do. The things that we can put faith in, the things that we can see that are going to happen. And on this day, as Christians, why don't we take a look at our spiritual lives? Why don't we take a look at our faith, take a look at our walk with Jesus Christ, and resolve, promise ourselves to do things that will help us along our spiritual walk, that will help us to become closer to Jesus, closer to God the Father, and over the past, over the fall, we, we walked through a sermon series called What to Expect When You're Christianing. And it was a walkthrough of the first four chapters of the New Testament book of James, and then we took a break for Advent. But we're coming back to this a little bit, and we're almost to the end of James. We're actually at the end of James chapter four. And for those of you who weren't here, or maybe you don't remember way back that far, let me just give you a, a A summary of what we've seen so far. Chapter 1 of James tells us that we live in an ungodly world. And I think we can all agree we live in an ungodly world. And that we should expect, while we're living in the world, that we are going to face trials and temptations. We are going to face a world that is trying to get to tell us or trying to tell us to, to, to do things that we know are against. The will of God. And James tells us that the most significant way that we can overcome those trials is to do the Word of God. If we are acting through the Word of God, it's going to be a lot easier for us to ignore a lot of those temptations and easier for us to get through those trials when they come because we have that knowledge and we have that faith of the Word of God and we do it. We step out and we do what God tells us to do. In chapter 2, we, it, he starts talking to the Christian church. And James says that he he warns us against favoritism. He says that we should not be treating people differently based on whether they're rich or whether they're poor. And I might extend that to whether they're black or whether they're white or whether they're men or whether they're women. We should be treating everyone equally as people who God loves. And he tells us that the way that we treat others is another doing of the Word, another demonstration of the faith that we have in God the Father. In chapter 3, he warns us of the dangers within the church of gossiping and boasting and speaking badly of other people. James calls it cursing them. And he speaks of using the wisdom of the Word of God to do something to bridle our tongues, to stop all of this speech that is destroying the body of Christ. He tells us that we need to practice self-control. And in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, he speaks about these conflicts and quarrels among believers because of selfish ambitions and desires. Again, actions that God does not want us to take. God doesn't want us to act with selfish ambition and desires. God calls us to resist those things. To resist the devil is how James calls it. So that we can continue to become strong in our faith. And all of this, all of these things have to do with doing. And this morning we're going to take a really quick look at James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. It's the end of James chapter 4. And what we're going to talk about is this idea of the future. As this year ends, we're all looking forward to 2024. Well, most of us are looking forward to 2024. But God has a lot of things to say about how we look at the future and how we plan for the future. And in James chapter uh, 4, verse 13, we read, Come now. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Now, I heard this phrase, Lord willing, ever since I can remember. It was my mom's favorite thing to say when we asked her for something. Anybody else, your, your mom, like you'd ask her for something, Mom, can we, go to, can we go to Toys R Us? mom are we going on vacation this year mom are we going here mom are we doing this and my mother always lord willing it's made me so mad to hear her say that (laughs) i was so can't you just give me an answer (laughs) lord willing lord willing i'll give you an answer someday And this is one of those Bible phrases that has kind of made its way into our general language, right? A lot of people say this phrase, whether or not they're Christians or not. Well, Lord willing in the creek don't rise, is another one. You guys know that one, right? And because it's become this thing, this just phrase that we say, I think a lot of times... we we end up losing the author's meaning. We end up losing James's meaning in this phrase. See, James is telling the reader that instead of making plans for the future, they should preface their plans with, if the Lord wills. And he tells them why. James says that if we don't include the Lord and his will, In our planning for the future, we are boasting and arrogant. And that is evil. That's what James is saying. He's not saying it's boastful to make plans. Right. In fact, the Bible, and particularly in the Psalms and the Proverbs, we, we see a lot of wisdom about making plans. Proverbs 22, or 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. There's nothing bad about making plans. Now, the author of Proverbs is saying that the wisdom comes in having others who can counsel you. Others who are involved in your planning. And I think that he would extend that and actually think that God should be the first person that we should involve as a counselor in our planning. I think about our, our younger son, Josh. He's going to be graduating from high school next year. And in the next few months, he is going to be thinking about a lot of things. He's going to be thinking about where to go to college. He's going to be thinking about what he might want to major in, what he might want to do uh, as a living. And he's got a lot of things that he's got to figure out. Parents with children in college or have had children in college, you know what I'm talking about, right? It just seems to never end, this stuff that comes. And we have to make plans for. Because Josh wants to go to a, a, a D1 school. If you don't know what D1 is, that's like the highest of the... NCAA schools. He wants to go for track and field. And he, would, he wants to, to compete at that level. But that's not the only thing he has to think about. He has to think about, well, what am I going to study while I'm there? What is that going to prepare me for four years after I get out of college? Am I going to be prepared to take my next steps? And we kind of keep thinking through all of these things. What's my option if I can't get into a D1 school? Am I okay with a D2 school? Right? It just goes on and on. And as his parents, Wendy and I have decided, and and we've talked about this a lot, and and, and I came to the conclusion that we're just going to step back and let him take care of everything. (laughs) He is in complete control of all of his decisions. Just tell us where to send the checks, and we'll be fine with it, right? Obviously not. That's nonsense, right? That is absolutely not what Wendy and I would do. Our son knows that he can rely on us when he has questions, when he needs help, when he needs, when he needs to go to college visits, and when he needs to apply for FAFSA, which I don't know if that will ever happen. It's supposed to start today, but it was supposed to start in October, so who knows? But he knows that he can count on us to help him go through all of those things. In his planning and he and we know that we have his school counselors and we have coaches and we've got college coaches even that we've started being in contact with that can help us and we've got several friends who have gone to various colleges and they they're always touting what you know my school's the best but they there are these people there are these counselors that we have but with all of the wise counsel at our disposal, with all of the teachers and coaches and friends, more than anything, we want him, and sometimes we need to remind ourselves of this, we want him to seek the wisest counsel. We want him to pray. We want him to ask God what he wants not just for college, but for beyond college. Proverbs 16, one to nine, or one and nine, I'm sorry. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We may have a lot of desires of things that we want to do, but if we're not doing them the way that God wants us to, we might be in for some difficulty. Verse nine says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. If we are in prayer, if we are in communion with God, while we are going through this particular process, this college process, he is going to tell us, he is going to show us what Josh should do. And then it's up to Josh to decide if he's going to obey the will of God or not, just like it's up to all of us to decide whether we're going to obey the will of God. And James says, stop thinking in terms, Christians, stop thinking in these terms that I'm gonna do something, that I'm gonna go to this place, I'm gonna do this thing. Because, ultimately, if you want to follow God, it's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to Him. All of the decisions that we make should be up to God, ultimately. And one of the many reasons why people tell us that we're stupid for believing in God Go something like this, if there's a God, what makes you think he cares about what I do? I just saw something on Facebook last week, Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, anybody know who he is, scientist? He posted this picture of the universe. And it just had, it it was beautiful. It was taken by the James Webb telescope and it was just colorful and all kinds of stars and planets and everything. And the post said, how insignificant does this make you feel? And I had to laugh. That picture didn't make me feel insignificant. It made me feel like one of the most significant people on earth. Because God made us And as far as we know, there is no intelligent life. There is no cognizant life anywhere else. God cares about me. In all this vastness, God cares about me. That didn't make me feel insignificant at all. It made me feel joyous. And it reminded me of Psalms. Psalm 139 is a song that basically just praises God for making us. Psalm 139 verse one: "O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Does this sound like a God who doesn't care? Does this sound like a God who's not interested in what's going on on earth, let alone in my life? No. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And he goes on in verse, th- uh, verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And he finishes with, my frame was not hidden from you. And when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And I love this. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. God knew me before I was even starting to be created. And he wrote it down. He wrote down, if you do my will, if you do the things that I instruct you to do, regardless of whether life is horrible or whether life is wonderful, you can feel joy in the promise that God cares for you and loves you. And if I ever talk to somebody that says something like this, well, God, how can we be significant to God? I want to show them this, this passage. This is what we're talking about. And guess what? It's not just in this song. God himself tells us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And he's not talking about whether life is good or bad here. This is God himself speaking to his people. If we follow God's will, if we do God's word, We're going to have God's welfare. God is going to make sure that we are well taken care of. And how's he going to do that? By providing us with eternal life. By providing us with a home that will be with us. Him, the last book of Revelation, says that the, the, the dwelling place of God will be with man, with us. That's where God's going to live for eternity, with us. How can we not be excited about that? How can we not be joyous about that? We know that God cares for us. Christians, we know. Because we know, we believe, we have claimed this truth that God sent His one and only Son to live among us, to teach us, to show us who the Father is, then to die for our sins, and then to conquer death and rise from the grave so that we can know God for eternity. We know these things. In this portion of his letter, James is reminding us that it is God who should be the driving force behind everything that we do. Everything that we do. Every decision that we make. And when he's not... When we decide that we're going to take the reins ourselves or we're going to take the wheel of this ship and try to steer it without God as the rudder leading us to where we should be going through his will, we are showing arrogance toward God. We are saying, God, I know better than you do. Leave me alone. And the bad news is, he will. Because God has given us free will, he will let us do whatever we want. But just because he will let us do those things doesn't mean that we're going to be free of the consequences of those decisions. This is what James is telling us. When you make plans, say, if It is God's will. If the Lord wills, we will live. That's the first part. A lot of people just bunch this all together. No, if the Lord wills, we will live. That's number one. You're breathing because God wants you to be breathing. And then number two, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. That is the attitude that we should have every moment of every day. This is not just some phrase that James is putting out there. This is truth. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That should be our truth if we are followers of Jesus Christ. It's not just what my mom used to say. Well, Lord willing. This is what should be at the forefront of every plan we make. If it is God's will that Josh attends a certain college, then that's what he ought to do. He should attend that college. And if it's not God's will, then he needs to keep looking. And if we remain in prayer, if Wendy and I and Josh Remain in prayer. And those of you who are praying for us, and I know that we've got some people praying for us as we go through this time. If we remain in prayer, if we ask God to show us His will and show that we are looking to do His will, He will show us what His will is in His wisdom. And His wisdom may come supernaturally. I might hear, or Josh might hear, or Wendy might hear an actual audible voice from God that says... Josh should go here. That is possible. But God doesn't just work that way. His wisdom may come through the prayerful wisdom of others who have been praying about Josh and praying about what he should be doing with his future. Who then come to us and say, you know, God has has been speaking to me. He's been telling me that, that Josh might need to go to this place. And if we trust that they are prayerfully caring for Josh, that's where God's wisdom might come from. Or God might act without saying a word. He might close a door. He might block the way from a place that Josh is not supposed to go and open the door to the place where God wants him to go. But none of that's gonna happen if we're not willing to let go of ourselves, to let go of our arrogance, to let go of our boasting, and to let God lead. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Seek God and his righteousness. And when the time is right, you will know where Josh is supposed to go to college. You will know when you're supposed to retire. You will know when you're supposed to leave that job and go to another job. This is what God is saying to us. And if we do God's will, we're not just going to have a happy new year. We're going to have a joyous life through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you created time and space. We thank you that you created the heavens and the earth, and we thank you, Lord, that you created us and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God, we are so grateful that you have the perfect plan that what you have in store for us if we obey your will is the perfect plan for us. Father, as we enter into a new year, let us be willing to give over our decision-making to you. Let us be willing to look for and to hear your voice, your will. Help us to drown out all of the other things that are pushing us one way or another and let us just focus on you. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you love us. And God, we who are followers of your son are thankful that one day you will dwell among us forever. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that God will richly bless this congregation. Bless each and every one of you as you continue to seek to do His will in all things. Have a joyous New Year celebration with your family and friends. We will see you next week as we continue to worship the God who is there always. God bless you.